Ladies and gentlemen, uh, your pal John Gruber here. This is a very special episode of the talk show. It is a different episode of the talk show, as you're about to find out. Uh, and so it has a different kind of sponsorship setup. I'm just going to tell you right here, this episode is exclusively brought to you by meh.com. That's M-E-H.com. Uh, if you don't know, what's meh? It's a daily deal site. You guys remember Woot, W-O-O-T? That was a daily deal site uh, where they put funny content and videos and stuff like that up. And they'd have one thing a day that they would sell at an extraordinary discount. Then they sold to Amazon. That was Woot. They sold to Amazon. And Amazon started changing everything around and eventually got rid of everything about Woot that made Woot Woot. So the team left. They left Amazon when they could. And they started a new site that was like Woot, except uh, even better than it used to be. And that's meh. It's the guys behind Woot. They have a new site, meh. And you go there every day and they have a daily deal. Something is on sale at an extraordinary discount, like a, a gee, I wonder if they like rip these off the back of a truck sort of discount. Um, gadgets, oftentimes, toys, stuff like that. But the main reason to go there, it's not even to find the discount. It's not a shopping site. It's one thing a day that's available at a, a limited time. The reason to go to med.com every day are the videos that they make, uh, the descriptions that they write that are hilarious, sometimes not even about the product at all. Uh, it's really just a great site to work into your daily routine of places to go when you want to be not bored or entertained for a couple of minutes. Um, so go there, check them out at med.com, check out the videos, check out the site, and, uh, you can even keep your eye on the daily deals. You might find something really, really worthwhile. They're great. And they're the ones who are bringing you today's episode. And without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the talk show. This is going to be fun. We've got uh, uh, Eddie Q, Senior Vice President, Internet Software and Services. Eddie, welcome to the talk show. How you doing? Uh, and returning to the talk show, which is must mean I didn't uh, botch it up too badly, uh, Craig Federighi, uh, Senior Vice President of uh, Software Engineering. It's a rare honor to be here, John. Here's my question. This is a tough one. I want to know it now. Eddie, you're a big sports fan. Has Steve Dowling sent you to like photography school for like taking pictures after sporting events now po post Super Bowl? You know, I I love that because you you may know Tim and I went to the Super Bowl together, and uh, he he's a huge Broncos fan, huge huge Broncos fan, and so uh, when they won the game, we were we were all excited. We got high fiving each other. We went onto the field. He's taking the photos, and he's so excited. He wanted to congratulate him and sent the picture out. And then the next morning, I wake up and I get to see all of those. Uh, messages and tweets and everything else and i thought it was great uh because it, it's it shows you know tim is just like you and me he's a huge sports fan and was loving it and he loved that his team actually won the super bowl <laughs> i i i said this <laughs> i i just thought it was that's exactly what i thought i thought it was like tim tim is a human being and it, it's a real sports fans photo i thought it was goofy but I thought it was goofy the reaction that people had. To me, it was just a happy moment. All I, right, I, I'm hoping I'm hoping to have a few more for you this year. Maybe another repeat for the Warriors, repeat Duke <laughs> national championship. You know, well, that's I don't know about the Duke one. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention Duke, Eddie. No, no, I was. I look, I've been, we've been wanting to talk to you for like three weeks, but I told I told Dowling there's no way I'm going to talk to John right now because we've been losing games straight. So I waited till we won the last. We've won the last like two games in a row. We're hot, and I'm like, let's get on the call now. No, my 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 last sports related suggestion to you is just in case the Warriors keep it up, and just in case you know maybe WWDC sticks to the typical schedule. 
maybe you want to rehearse more. And if you have extra tickets for a Warriors finals game, I know a guy, you know, who maybe could take them off your hands. Just saying. Just How, saying. That's, uh, uh, you're on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Let's let's get down to brass tacks here. One of the things, one of the reasons that, that this is even happening is that Apple is talking about and, and telling its users a lot more about what is coming down the pipeline in software. So for, I mean, and the best example of that is, is that there's a big, it's not even like a developer page. It's a big product marketing page on what's coming in iOS 9.3. Yeah. Yeah, we we uh, have a real feature release here with with nine three, and uh, so we certainly wanted to talk about it, and we also wanted to get it out in public seeds. So um, many of you are uh, running it, uh, certainly uh, all of us here are, and uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff we were able to to do, and we didn't want to wait all the way till WWDC to get it out. Is so I I'm not imagining things that this is a a at least a subtle change away from keeping features as a sort of um, major, you know, new features that you want to promote in in the OS as a monolithic once a year at WWDC, we'll announce them. And once a year, a couple months later in the fall, we'll release them sort of schedule. Yeah. You know, a huge part of what we do with, with iOS every year is we're really advancing a, a platform uh, for developers. And you really can't sort of trickle out a big change for developers at the platform level uh, continuously throughout the year. So that's something where it makes a ton of sense for us to uh, advance it all at once, have a conference, uh, get everyone early access to uh, the SDKs that they're going to use, give them a chance to get their apps uh, ready and take advantage of all the new capabilities and uh, and then uh, get it out with a major OS. But there are things that we can do um, that don't have that characteristic. you know. And if you look at the kind of features coming in 9.3 with our, our support for education and you know shared use iPads and the classroom app or uh, or the night shift feature uh, or you know some of the improvements we made to uh, photos or even the smart keyboard handling on uh, on the iPad Pro these are things that uh, you know we wanted to get out right away to everyone because we think everyone can enjoy them and they aren't the kind of things that really uh, impact moving the platform forward for developers. Right, it's not really developer changes, but it is. They're they're definitely major features. Um, one of my favorites is for the smart keyboard that when you go to Spotlight Search, you can arrow key down to to the search results. Yeah, I know you 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 did helpfully note for us uh, <laughs> shortly after we shipped the iPad Pro that uh, that we missed one there. So it was uh, it's been <laughs> great to miss more than one. Let me say, and so we've. Uh, been responding to all the kind of great feedback we've gotten on the iPad Pro, which we're we're all excited about the device and uh, so excited about how people have really embraced it. But you know, we all have our uh, as we all use it more deeply, we're we're all seeing things where we can uh, improve a bunch of things, including the keyboard support. And so we've taken this opportunity in nine three to to make some of those enhancements. So that is an, an interesting thing so one of the things is you guys actually are all and i say not just you like craig and eddie but everybody on the executive leadership team in addition to having you know these jobs that are very specific in terms of your responsibilities you're also users of the the products that apple makes oh yeah oh yeah no i mean <laughs> well that that's why we're that's why we're here for sure i mean no one was more enthusiastic to get access to uh uh, to 
the inside of Apple and, and software than, than myself and, and Eddie. And certainly, uh, you know, I'm, I am installing, I think I probably install something like 500 versions. I mean, literally it's 500, a thousand versions of OS 10 and iOS myself every year. I mean, I have, you know, uh, four Macs and four iPads and two phones and I upgrade them all to the newest build pretty much every day. Um, so I don't know. I think I did the math wrong. I think it's like a hundred thousand versions of OS 10 and OIOS I install every, uh, every year. John, John, John I've, I've been doing this for more than 30 years. Um, you know, the way I started with this was bringing my Mac, uh, into the office, uh, for my first job. And, and so working on the Mac for me was like a dream come true. So I live on our products every day. I use all of our products every day. They're, they're part of my life my kids, my family. And so it's, it's great. And we share that experience and we give each other feedback and we, uh, you know, we, we, it's, it's what we do. But so like you, like Eddie, like you, when you get like a, a new MacBook pro or whatever you're going to use, you know, but you set it up yourself. Oh, absolutely. My, 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 first of all, hopefully everyone can set it up themselves because that's what we build it for. And uh, it, it's really easy. I set it up. I, uh, I transfer uh, my content from my old MacBook or I just did a new iMac. As a matter of fact, I actually bought it myself. I bought, I went on the online store. I wanted to see what the experience was. I ordered it, checked all the mail. I wanted to see the mail, the notifications that came to my phone and then uh, installed it all. Yeah, and I mean, no, no joke, Eddie, seriously, in most meetings I'm in with Eddie, at some point in the meeting, he breaks out one of his devices and starts upgrading it mid-meeting. And then, then we're able to get on-the-fly feedback on the new software during the meeting. So it's, it's very helpful. I, I know it sounds like a trivial question, but it's something I've always wanted to ask people like you, because I can see it both ways, where I know you guys are technically adept and have the background uh, to do it. But on the other hand, as the senior vice president of a semi-large corporation, you don't have to. If you wanted to have somebody set up your stuff for you, you could do it. So it's always been curious to me whether whether you guys go through it because you want to get that, like, what's it like to be a real user experience or do you take advantage of the, you know, the fact that you don't have to if you don't want to? Oh, yeah. And it's not, it's not just that. I mean, we, we're, we're both um, involved uh, every day in the development of the software that's, that's being put together. And so we all want to run the latest thing that we were just in a um, HI review talking about. We want to get that feature uh, that we talked about last week and start living on it uh, so we can start giving the team feedback on what we're seeing. Uh, and so it's a, it's an integral part of how we develop here is that we all live on the software. Um, and at the same time, I mean, probably like yourself and, uh, you know, we're all the, the tech support teams for our families and our parents and our in-laws. And uh, uh, so I, I have all my, my kids are running the betas all the time. Uh, so we get, we get live, live feedback, helpful feedback from the whole family uh, nonstop. We're, we're, we're immersed in the Apple universe of uh, feedback. Let me, let, John, let me give you an example. Uh, of something like, because this happens all the time for me. I, I'm using our product. So I, this weekend I was using Apple TV. I've got the new Apple TV. And by the way, which we should talk about, there's a lot of great new features coming out uh, with this. This is a major release of Apple TV. Um, but I'm doing a, a purchase of a movie. And uh, I've got a family plan, Apple Music, the whole thing with everybody. And uh, the message that comes up on the screen says, uh, somebody from your family has already purchased this. Would you like to buy it again? <laughs> uh, pretty dumb message. 
And, uh, and so it's an example of, I got on there and it's like, you know, I'm talking to my team, why are we doing it this way? And it's just a history thing of before there was family plan, it would ask you that question because it was a single user. Once you have a family plan, it should just download. It shouldn't even, it shouldn't even bother to ask you. And so, you know, we live both Craig and I, and that's, that's part of what we love doing. And so it's, it's, it's great to be able to have an impact and change these things. Um, cause we're using them ourselves. Yeah, that's a perfect example. I was uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what was the last bug that you encountered yourself? And that's a good one. And I, it's an interesting explanation, right? And I, just to clarify, what you're saying is it's saying that, that the, the person who's now in your family plan who made that purchase earlier made the purchase before there was a thing called the family plan and therefore it didn't automatically download. No, it was is just, that, it wasn't. Oh, what I, what I, they did make the purchase and they were part of the family plan. Originally, when we were doing this, um, there wasn't a, a thing as family plan. And so it was designed just to ask you if you wanted right. to purchase again. When we did this software for family plan, we didn't take into account that. We just said, oh, somebody already purchased it. I got and it. instead of just downloading it, we didn't do that. But I want to give you, since you said, I want to give you a little, to tell you a little bit how crazy Craig and I are uh, about this stuff. And you said, what's the latest? Because it just reminded me of, of this. Um, I was installing a new version of OS X on my iMac. Uh, and it's a non-release version. Uh, a couple of days ago, and uh, I ran into a problem that I couldn't, I knew would be very difficult to recreate. And this is about 7.30 at night. I had just gotten home doing the, uh, the update. Uh, and I called Craig up and I said, here's, here's the problem that I've got. Uh, I was leaving the next day to Yuma, Arizona, by the way. I want to give a shout out to the uh, kids and teachers out in Yuma, Arizona um, <laughs> that are using iPads. Uh, but I called Craig up, told him about the problem. And I said, look, I'm leaving tomorrow. I said, I want your guys to kind of look at this because I think this is, it's kind of weird. I don't think it's going to be easy to recreate. He says, sure. So I took the iMac, put it in my car, drove to Craig's house, gave him the iMac, came back home, went on my trip. Craig and his engineering, the engineer was looking at it, figured it out. And the next day got the iMac back. Uh, it, <laughs> so it, it was sort of like preserving a crime scene. So, <laughs> I, I, that's yeah. right. Except like, we found out at the end that no crime was committed because we, we fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> Right, but if you you know if you have a bug or just an edge case that you're worried you can't reproduce, it's like you really do just want to like freeze the computer right where it is, uh, and let the engineers you know start uh, debugging. Yeah, absolutely, and it was uh, was helpful that Eddie was was on the case on that one. <laughs> That's a really great story, though. I love that he just <laughs> drops it off. <laughs> your house. It's, it's good to know people. <laughs> But that's it is it's interesting, but it's that's exactly the sort of question I had is how how involved do you guys get when you run into one of these little you know it's inevitable I mean there's nobody has ever written bug free software it's the nature of software, but what do you guys do when you guys encounter it and that's <laughs> drive yeah. over to Craig's house is the answer <laughs> I like it. um yeah. so before we forget let's let's go back and talk about what's coming up in apple t v so the right now it's a it's a beta it's tvOS 9.2 and there is a lot of it really is a major feature uh just off the top of my head siri dictation for text entry and searching for apps that's something people started complaining about as soon as the new apple tv shipped that's a big one yeah it's huge look when you when you get your apple tv the first time the first thing you've got to do is enter your your apple id and your password and uh, being able to, you've got Siri built into this remote. Why not just tell it and spell it out instead of having to, 
you know, go through the typing mechanism of doing it. And so we wanted to do that right from the beginning. And then searching on the App Store, we, we added searching across movies, TV shows, and, and Netflix and Hulu. We've added a bunch of new content providers like FX. You can search Disney Channel. Uh, we're adding, we continue to add more, but obviously the App Store is a huge one. And, uh, and so we've done that. We've added some languages, Spanish, French uh, to that. Uh, and we've added uh, iCloud Photo Library, full support, so you can see all of your photos. And also, as you, one of the things that you've noticed if you've downloaded a lot of apps on the App Store from the App Store, uh, having folders now. So just like you have on iOS, you can add folders. Right. So you know you could just group together all your little arcade games, put them in an arcade folder. That's right. Right. Um. What can you tell me? I know this is from the list. I'm just, and this is how lazy I am in preparing for a, a very important talk show. One of the features is conference room display mode. What What is that? Uh, we had this in the original Apple TV, <laughs> and uh, part of this is if you know most um, conference rooms from Wi-Fi connectivities into the networks. You have people. You have private networks that are set up for the corporation, but then you know somebody comes in to present, and you don't really want to let them into your private network. Uh, from the company. And so we had this capability and, and uh, we wanted to add that to the Apple TV so that it would be easy for people to come in and present. Well, gotcha. we, can, we can also lock the, the display so that instead of showing you the latest top movies at the beginning of every meeting, <laughs> uh, it can just tell you that you can airplay to it. So we, we all stay on top of all the top films here at Apple when we start every meeting. But now we have, now we have an alternative. <laughs> That's true. So it's not it's really Siri wide. I mean, and this affects every platform, but um, the expansion to include new languages, obviously that is really super important to let's just say people who speak Spanish. It's really like a make or break feature. How, how difficult is that to do each language going, you know, to keep adding languages to Siri and to keep the, the level of quality of, of Siri's recognition? Yeah, we have over 35 languages in Siri. Uh, Apple TV presents an actually an, an interesting uh, problem compared to just Siri itself in that a lot of the things that you search for are not in the native language you're speaking. So you're actually, let's say, speaking in Spanish, but you're searching for an English title. Um, and so Siri has to be aware that it's actually able to, to speak multiple languages because you wouldn't and, and understand when it is that it's asking for a title versus when it is that you're actually giving a verb or a noun to it from that. And so it's an interesting, challenging problem, which is why we've been adding languages to Siri. We're not quite – to Apple TV, we're not quite up to the 35 that Siri has, but we'll keep adding on. Um, and it's supporting that multi-language aspect of Siri that makes it uh, makes it even you know more fun for us to, to try to resolve. Yeah, our, our machine learning uh, teams at, uh, at Apple and within the Siri team have done some – Remarkable work, and I know you've noticed some of the improvements to Siri's both performance and, and its ability to recognize, but the, the core technology has improved so much that it's really helped us get high accuracy uh, when we take on all of all of these new languages. And uh, some of these challenges, like now we have to know not just that you're speaking Spanish, but while you're speaking Spanish, you're talking about they might be giants, but you're pronouncing those words with a Spanish accent, and Siri needs to recognize that. These are these are the kind of things that uh, you know a few years ago were just out of reach, and now we have the core technology uh, to do it. And I, th I think the experience with Siri has just taken uh, some giant leaps forward. By the way, and at a at a huge scale, uh, these are billions of requests that come in every week um, to Siri. 
across all the platforms. That's right. Um, so in addition to that, here's another one that that's added to uh, tvOS 9.2 is sort of the old school way of text entry, Bluetooth keyboard support. And it's a little thing, but it it's one of those things where the old Apple TV supported it, including at setup, so that you could set up like if you had the Apple uh, Magic Keyboard, you could you could connect to it. And then the new Apple TV came out, and it didn't have it. And everybody was some people maybe were a little annoyed that everything they had to do with the new Apple TV in November was up, down, left, right to you know enter everything. Um, is is this just an issue of uh, hey, it's, it was a new version of tvOS, all new. It's you know integrating it with iOS. We just didn't get to it by November, or was this like a, a rethink? Like hey, a lot of people are asking us for Bluetooth keyboard support. Let's let's go back and put it back in. No, that's a great question. In that case, it was really simple. We were doing the new OS, and it's something we wanted to get to. Uh, we knew it wasn't the majority of customers, and so we felt like we could add it later. Uh, and we always planned it. And yes, I did get a few emails and, and a few tweets about it. <laughs> you, you know, uh, what's, what's just <laughs> hilarious about this, though, is, is we uh, we have a, a, a very vocal community, uh, as you know. And uh, when uh, we were getting this feedback, or even actually before before making the decision not to include it in the first release, that the team had done the analysis based on our diagnostics and usage data of you know how about how many customers use a Bluetooth keyboard with their with their Apple TV every week, and they charted it out over time. And it's a it's a it's a small rate relative to the you know pe- how people are using the, the built-in remote and so forth. But we noticed that that rate of use of the Bluetooth keyboard dropped to almost nothing during WWDC. And what this told us was pretty much everyone who's using it is a developer who's going to WWDC or an Apple employee. Uh, now, that didn't stop all of them from writing Eddie when it, when it was missing, but just to give you a sense of kind of what's going on underneath all that. <laughs> That's... That is hilarious. Because I, I was going to say that I think it's it's a hard sell across your family. Like whether there's one person in the family who's, who, you know, technically adept and wants to put a Bluetooth keyboard in the living room. I think it's a hard sell family wide to keep a keyboard <laughs> in the living room. And, and, we, and we do have a little bit, something even a little bit better coming out in a few months, which is we have a new remote app so that if you have your iPhone, um, you can use the keyboard on the iPhone to do that. And I think that certainly will get a lot more use. And, and more than that, I mean, really the full, you know, Siri to your phone c- communicating with your TV. And that's a, it's a great uh, upgrade to that app. Well, you could, there's a remote app for the iPhone now that you can connect to Apple TV. There is. As Craig said, it, it, it only does the keyboard. Um, the new remote app will do all of the capabilities that the, the existing new Apple TV remote does like Siri. And, and like gestures, ah. for instance, because you have obviously a you know the trackpad function of the of the remote can be done with your phone now too with that remote, so it's a really full replacement. Oh, so I have a scoop here. <laughs> there you go. That's actually you heard it here that, first. Well, you can't broad, I, you can't broadcast this for three months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's going to actually make a lot of people very happy, though, and it might. Um, it, would that work with some of the games too? So that if there's a two-player game, that somebody could use their phone and have it be the slider, and somebody else can use the remote. Yes, that's that's exactly. You can use the metal, the Apple TV remote for one person, and their phone for the second person. Oh, that sounds great. Let's move on and uh, sort of talk about something that 
it it almost feels like a Groundhog Day, and it's almost you know since it's February, it actually is close to Groundhog Day. Is that last year there were a couple of posts that came up early in the year about Apple having um, little tiny sort of death by a thousand paper cut software problems across the board, and there was a lot of discussion about it, and uh, sort of culminated, at least for me. Uh, when Phil Schiller was on the show at the live show at WWDC, and we talked about it, uh, and I thought Phil talked about it really openly. And then it seemed to fade away from the punditry discussion. And then um, last week, Walt Mossberg had a column. Uh, I think the headline was Apple's App Problem. Um, do you got, what do you guys say to this, this, just the general, nothing specific, let's not get into any specific app, but the general idea that Apple software is has declined in quality, let's say, over the last five years? I, w- I would say um, first that uh, there, there's nothing we care about more. So, uh, you know, it's not just me and Eddie filing lots of radars and, you know, using our, our devices, but everyone who works here at Apple, we recognize this is the single most important thing about what we do and what we come to work to do uh, every day. So I take extremely seriously uh, anytime any of our customers says that um, they aren't having the experience that they expected from us. Um, and, and clearly Walt's article indicates that uh, he is uh, at the moment in that camp. Uh, I, I look at it and say, I, I know um, our core software quality uh, has improved over the last five years, improved significantly. Um, but the bar just keeps going up. And that's a bar that we embrace. That is a challenge that, uh, you know, every year we realize we, the things we were good at last year and the techniques we were using to build the best software we can uh, are not adequate for the next year because the bar keeps going up. We have a billion active devices now. And, you know, if you think back to just nine years ago now with the iPhone, uh, it, how much Think back then of kind of how you interface with technology and, and comparatively how narrowly each of us interface with technology. And now think about how integral your iPhone, your iPad, and, and, and still your Mac are to your life. How many hours a day? I mean, we see the usage metrics and year after year as our team builds a new phone and thinks, how big a battery should we put in this phone? We have to go back to them and say, guys, actually, you're going to have to up that a good bit because people are using their phones more than ever this year. And we see that trend go up and up and up and people are doing more and more. And what this means is uh, when you have a billion people running phones in every corner of their lives with all of these third-party apps in all these countries and all these languages, that uh, there, are going, there are going to be issues. There were always issues, but now these issues are, are you know, you have plenty of people that, that can, uh, can encounter one here and there. Uh, and it gets it gets amplified. And and maybe I could ask you. I mean, I, I I feel like something. If you go back five years or ten years, in in just the nature of internet journalism and the press and how how stories like this get communicated and amplified, uh, is is change things a little bit as well. And so I think that plays into the 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 element of why why are we hearing about this again, or why do we hear about it in 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 the way we do. Um, but I know we put just tremendous focus on improving our game uh, every year. Yeah, I there's there's a certain aspect to the 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 basic idea that to me is a little bit more of a, a not just me. I'm saying what I detect when I when I see people nodding their heads in agreement on Twitter and in, in follow up posts to say the the 
like Mossberg's column last week, that it's more of a, a gut feeling than anything that anybody can put their finger on and say, here's this one thing that's, you know, absolutely terrible. And I know just from, you know, talking with Phil last year and like what you're saying now, that you guys have a lot of um, ways that you measure this stuff with real analytics from the, the diagnostics that people explicitly opt in to provide to you when they're setting up devices. That's right. And that it there, I sense it. You guys, I mean, you two are both, you know, optimistic, cheerful people, but I, I can't help, but I suspect, and it's not coming from your voices here on this show, but I just suspect in general that there's a sort of frustration within the walls at Apple that you guys have these numbers that say software quality is going up. And then on the outside, everybody is saying, wow, so Apple software, their, their eye is off the ball. Is that, is it frustrating? No, look, I think you said a few words that I would I would disagree with. You said everybody. Uh, I think right. the, the vast majority of our customers are, are quite happy with our products and, and the feedback that they they get and and they ask for help. And that's why we built things like Genius Bars, which have been very popular. Uh, why we you know we spend a great deal of money and effort on our Apple Care and support line so that when people need help, um, you know, training all of those things. So I, I think it, it's. It's not to say that we don't have any bugs or that we don't have any issues. Every every piece of software does. We care deeply about it, which is why we all, you know, do all of these different touch points, monitor them, look at them, make sure we're addressing them. And and at the same time as doing that, upping the game even more. Because part of upping the game is not just standing still and making the things that you have work, but making them even better, making them easier to use. Um, those are all the things we have to do at the same time. And Apple customers um, deserve the best, uh, and that's that's absolutely what we're signed up for. So if uh, if and when we hear people are having uh, challenges, um, well, on the one hand, we're we're frustrated, of course, to hear it overall characterized as uh, as this um, uh, the quality is dropping overall because because we know that's not true. But at the same time, there's certainly reality to if, if uh, people are having these experiences, uh, then there's something we can improve. And uh, I can tell you the, the number of meetings we have and, and have had even over the last few weeks um, where we're constantly talking about how do we up the game? Because you, when you talk about uh, a billion customers and you talk about the kind of upgrade rates we have, I mean, I, I think back to when we shipped Snow Leopard. And, you know, how many people installed 10.6.0? Effectively, no one. Okay. I mean, you know, approximately no one. In fact, we used to talk about, well, the, the, the upgrade rate to this OS will about match the sales of new Macs that have it installed. You know, I mean, people just didn't upgrade. And if they did upgrade, it's like, why don't we wait for 10.6.5 or something? You know, now we release a piece of software and in a matter of a couple of weeks, we have you know, coming up on 50% of our base running that piece of software. I mean, hundreds of millions of people suddenly pounding on it, running a, a diversity of apps that just is is unprecedented and and using it in these incredibly connected ways. And so, yeah, the bar the bar is higher, and uh, we will continue to to uh, adapt every year uh, to meet that challenge. And the scale the scale, John, for this is is truly. Uh, amazing because of the u usage that people, I mean, they rely on these for their lives. I'll give you a couple points that uh, we peak out at 200,000 messages a second that are sent on messages, for example. 
Uh, we do 750 million transactions every week in our app store, iTunes store. Um, we've done billions of dollars. Now you're talking about dollars for payments in Apple Pay. So, you know, this is like it's it's a part of everyone's lives. And, and it's great. We love this. This is the reason why, you know, we, we do what we do and, and we get up in the morning and we're excited about coming in is because we, we can do more. Um, and so the scale of this is, is huge, huge. So what was the number for, for messages? 200K per second at the peak? That's right. <laughs> People got a lot to say, apparently. Yeah, that was probably right. Uh, like right at the moment in the first quarter of the Super Bowl, where they didn't over overturn that catch, <laughs> right? Yeah, for it's some probably... reason, for some reason, it was really high from North Carolina. I don't know what was. <laughs> uh, but that is extraordinary. So that, that Eddie, that gets to a specific point, and this is clearly in in a ball that's in your court. Is is the general meme that apple doesn't do online service as well and you know that's that's your responsibility what do you say to that well i i think you go back to the things that we do really well some of that we earned to be clear right part of the reason we did that many years ago with mobile me or maps but we've corrected those and you look at icloud we do you know we have 782 million icloud users uh, some of them have multiple devices, which is why we have a billion devices. Uh, they upload billions of photos every single week, every single day. Um, and you you look at the scale of messages, you look at Apple Pay, you look at our stores. Uh, we run some of the largest services in the world um, very successfully. Uh, you take a look at Maps. We've uh, we've corrected uh, more than a two and a half million customer. Uh, feedback that we've gotten from customers directly to Maps that we've corrected and notified them back that we fixed them. Um, so the, the scale of this is huge, uh, and I would compare it to any company out there. And and the ramp is unbelievable. I mean, you consider when we launch a new release of iOS and OS 10 and the corresponding cloud services, how we go from effectively zero to unbelievable international scale. Um, you know, literally overnight, uh, it's incredible, and the team has, uh, you know, done that at a at a scale. I think that is, uh, I, I can't think of another uh, another example of of what happens when we turn the lights on on a, on a new service like we do, uh, and you know, it it generally goes off without a hitch. The other thing I love about which is, and I, I love this, we we're not out harping um, our services as the brand. The service isn't the the thing. It's the experience. Right. And so, you know, whether you're typing in a note on your iPhone and it's on your Mac, um, we're not advertising this as note services or anything. We just want the experience to be. So a lot of these things are behind the scenes and they just work and it's great for customers. Yeah, even iMessage is a good example of that. And I I personally have... I, I I send I don't even know I I'm a big chunk of that two hundred thousand messages <laughs> per second. I I do, I spend I send a lot of messages and almost all of my messages are blue. Uh, <laughs> well, you have, uh, you have good and, you have good friends. <laughs> yes, and smart ones. Uh, but if you just look at how many people are using uh, iMessage and how many messages they're sending, it compares 
you know, very, very favorably to a lot of the independent messaging apps and services out there, like what app, what app and WeChat and, and things like that. That, and, and I feel like that's one of those things that Apple doesn't really get credit for, that they've got this messaging service with an extraordinary number of users who are extraordinarily engaged with it. And it's, it's not really figured into, you know, what Apple does at all, because you guys don't really brand it that way. You're just like, Hey, just use this app and send it, you know, send it to the, send your message to the person, you know, and it goes through. Yeah. I think that's, what's, what's great uh, really about, uh, about what we do is we tie together, you know, the hardware, the software and the services in a way that you aren't thinking you just used, uh, a cloud service necessarily when you bought your new iPhone and all your settings came back exactly the way you expected and so forth. Or when we do a feature like uh, Apple Pay, I mean, Apple Pay is a hardware feature. It's a software feature. It's a cloud feature uh, and it just works. And uh, it's a tremendous complex undertaking, but the customer doesn't have to think about any of those component pieces. They, they get an experience that uh, hopefully delights them. I'll, I'll give you a real quick anecdote, hopefully quick. I was on an airplane recently, and uh, the plane took off, and I got on the Wi-Fi, and um, an online service from a different company, it wasn't an Apple thing, it was somebody else, um, gave me a warning that I couldn't, you know, it looked like I was signing in from an unusual location because it was, I don't know where the plain Wi-Fi was saying it from. How do I want to verify that it's really me? And I, the only options were to get a phone call or an SMS text message, which I can't get because I'm 10,000 feet up in the air. And I showed it to the guy, this, the, my, my friend for the day sitting next to me on the plane, uh, who, you know, we'd spoken before the flight took off and he was like, Oh yeah, you can get text. I'm texting my, I'm texting my wife right now. And he was sending, <laughs> he was sending an iMessage. Right. And I just like, Oh yeah, okay. I'll do that. You know, cause I didn't want to explain, but it, he was, he, he thought he was solving my problem. Cause he just thought, no, no, it's great. This is absolutely wonderful. I'm texting right now. He didn't really have to think about what he's using to text. He's just doing it. Yeah, I think I think that's a fantastic example. Um, so let's shift from um, services to talk about a specific uh, bit of software, which isn't really about how it works, but really sort of how it's designed. And it's it's iTunes on the desktop. And here is where I wanted to quote Walt. So here's what Walt Mossberg wrote. Apple's iTunes program was once the envy of the world, a combined digital music store and player. It could also sync your iPod, and it worked on both Mac and Windows. It was reasonably fast and very sure-footed. Now I dread opening the thing. That and and that's sort of damning. And the thing that to me is more damning is that I don't. I see a lot of people who agree with that, and I don't see anybody who really disagrees with it. Yeah, I look. I. Let's go back to Walt's Walt's thing specifically to address, um, which is his performance issues and that. We, we've actually looked at it. Nothing to do with iTunes, but your question is still dead on because it's something we started about two years ago thinking about what we wanted to do with iTunes. And, and let me walk you back with wh where it's designed from and where I think it can go to. So first of all, we designed it in a time when everybody was syncing directly via cable. Um, so the things didn't exist in the cloud and having a centralized place where all of your content was there to sync was really key because it made it really easy to do. It didn't matter where the content was. You didn't have to launch multiple apps. You didn't have a separate app that made it really difficult to see. And so it worked really, really well. And by the way, given that we have a billion devices out there, there's still hundreds of millions of people doing exactly that. 
When we went to Apple Music, we said, well, let's see, we're building a new service. Why don't we do it all in the cloud? It's Apple Music's all in the cloud. Let's, let's do it that way. And one of the things that we wanted to do that was different was we didn't want just the music that lived in the cloud. If you had music, whether it was, you know, a live performance by Bruce Springsteen, for example, which I just bought because I haven't seen the new show and I'm a huge Bruce fan. Um, how do I get that to the cloud? Well, in most of the services that are out there, there's no way to do that. Because it lives in iTunes, it lets you do that. And it's very easy to upload that into the cloud and then exists in all of your devices. And so we decided that in the short term, what we wanted to do is, is really make it so that when you're in music and iTunes, all you see is music. And, and if you were doing a separate music app, it would really look a lot like iTunes when you're in the music player, because there's only one area where you pick which media type you want to do. That's not to say that we are continuing and, and we'll continue to think about what's the best way to architect the app and whether it makes sense to do a separate app uh, for some of the components that are in there or all of the components that are in there. But right now, we think we've designed iTunes and, and you'll see we've got a new refresh with the new version of OS X that's coming out uh, next month that makes it even even easier uh, to use in the music space. There are definitely, I mean, there's a big responsibility in transitioning the experiences for for a lot of these apps. So these are so important to people and we see it every time we, we change them at all. And you know, there are cases where uh, if you look at photos where we did a, a really bold rethink of where photos needed to go and and how to transition it. And by and large, I think that's been well-received. Um, and uh, I, I, I personally love it. And uh, but, but you'll hear people who say, hold on, you know, there was a reason why I like the way things used to be. And uh, people are pretty serious about their music and uh, about their collection. And so um, I think I think we we talk we debate pretty heavily internally the right the right way to evolve these things. and and you know we we tend to err on the side of being pretty bold. Um, but uh, there there's a lot of responsibility. we we you get the other side of these these stories. Um, you know, some of the people when you talk about people nodding your your head, if i if I look at some of the comments that come online when people say, yeah, Apple, uh, Apple's quality is bad. And someone will say, yeah, like when they took away my, my iPhoto app and replaced it with photos, I don't like the new photos app. And that's why they think Apple software quality right. is, is bad. Now, many of us would say, well, hold on. No, there's exactly an example of where Apple software quality, um, is, is quite good. We delivered something faster, cleaner, simpler. Um, but someone's going to say, no, but it's changed. And, and I was attached to it. And so, uh, this is a, this is a tricky balancing, uh, act. And I think our customers give us a, a lot of responsibility to thoughtfully evolve their experiences. And, uh, we, we try to take that responsibility very seriously. I don't. I don't think anybody would disagree that institutionally, Apple, uh, compared to its the, any company you might compare it against, is has been always more willing to push through changes. Whether you go back to the '80s and say that you know the Macintosh debuted without any kind of command line at all, uh, which was the only way anybody knew how to use a computer up until then, and they're like, no, this is the right way, you know. It, to uh, another uh, almost canonical example of it was the 1998 original iMac shipping without a floppy disk. And it's nobody had ever, how can you have a personal computer without a floppy disk? Uh, little things like that. Do you, do you guys find though that it, it's getting harder to do that now that you're talking about having 700, 800 million users? Is it harder because of that resist that, that natural part of humanity that just is resistant to change of any kind? Sure. It, of course, it's harder. When you have more customers, those things are harder to do. But 
Um, that doesn't, I, I, at least for me, and I've been here when we were really small and now <laughs> when we're much larger, it hasn't really changed. We, we're still willing to push. We just have to make sure that we we think about the ways that people are using the product and when we make the changes that they're not significant uh, and we're improving more than we're actually taking away or um, that it's the right thing to do. And so you have to be a little more conscious of understanding all of the different ways in which customers use it. But you bet it, you bet we got to keep pushing because uh, if you want to innovate, you got to move. You can't sit still with what you have. Yeah. And that's so strong internally. I mean, the base, the, the, the base instinct of everyone here is let's, let's do it. Let's do it the right way. If this is now the right way, forget the past, let's do it the right way. And it's a second thought then to, well, hold on. Okay. What does that mean for the transition and, and, and taking our customers along with us on, on this, but it's, it's so integral to who we are and how people think here, uh, that yeah, there, there's more of an external, there, there's a larger customer base that we have responsibility for, but we know part of why they're Apple customers is because that's what they expect from us. Uh, we would be doing them a disservice if uh, we stopped pushing. All right. Let me, let me make the specific comparison between two apps that we've just been talking about is uh, iTunes and photos for Mac. So in the, digital hub era when the mac was positioned here's our idea for the mac it's your digital hub for all of these little devices like cameras and ipods that you that you have in your life uh iphoto was the mac solution to photos and itunes was the mac and windows solution to music and then later you know media like tv shows and stuff uh the new strategy is clearly icloud centric uh i mean you guys have been explicit about that since icloud was announced in in on stage in 2011. Yep. Um, and it didn't come right away. It wasn't like photos for Mac came out immediately, but that was the answer. In, and last year was really that transition year. Um, but the idea was, look, iPhoto was great for then, but now we've got this Photos app, which is truly just a peer to what you've got on your iOS devices. And it's really designed for the modern age and the modern model. And iTunes and music haven't really made that shift. Is is that because music is different and because iTunes has different responsibilities or is it because iTunes has to exist for windows and iPhoto didn't, or, or is it something else? No, it's look, I think you're seeing music make that transition now. Um, since last year when we introduced Apple music, the truth is music before that was very local. It really didn't live in the cloud. Um, and you, 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 you moved your content, uh, by moving it to a device locally and, and then the device was there. And then if you wanted to update that device, you brought it back. Now that we've, and it's not just bringing a subscription service, as I said, it's about bringing all of your music, no matter how you acquired it. If, if it doesn't exist in the subscription service and you bought it yourself uh, separately, or it's available separately as a bootleg, all of the things that you, that you consume with music. And we're seeing that transition now. So for myself, you know, I live in a world where my music is all in the cloud. Uh, and I think we're going to see more and more customers. We just passed over 11 million uh, Apple Music subscribers. And all of those people live in a world where music is in the cloud. Uh, it, it, so that's a big 11 million Apple Music subscribers is, uh, is a big number. And it's only since, I mean, when did it come out of beta? It, well, it came out in September, but we gave away the, the uh, first three months for free. So, right. so think about it as, uh, you know, later in the year. October. Right. Is, uh, it, so it the and the growth rate is is good on that. We've been very pleased. It's it's great. We just uh, 
just this past week, we introduced it in Taiwan, um, and we also introduced it in Turkey, uh, which has been great. We introduced a, a version for Android, our first Android application. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's our second. We had we had moved to iOS. That's true. Thank that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Much loved app on the Android Play Store. <laughs> it's always a good, always a good source of humor is to go. It's like going to read the Yelp reviews for your favorite local restaurant and seeing <laughs> seeing the people who don't get it. <laughs> and, and one of the things we've learned, by the way, as, as we've gone to Apple Music is that uh, we have to educate people as much as all of us know about music subscriptions. When you go around the world, uh, what does it mean to be to have access to all of the music in the world? Uh, and what does that mean and how does that work? And, and uh, that's something that we're doing a lot of work on right now. Because we noticed that, you know, a lot of times people just didn't understand the concept. What do you mean I pay 99? What do I get? How do I get it? Uh, all of those things. And uh, that's been a big part of, of, of moving the number and continuing to move the number forward. Hmm. All right. Before we wrap this up, there's there's a topic I want to get to. And it's, I guess it's a little bit more on Craig's side of the court. But I've got some good friends who, if I don't talk about this, I think are going to shoot me because I have the opportunity. Is this and, about and dynamic so, dispatch and Objective-C? I'm ready. No. <laughs> so uh, it's about radar. So Eddie <laughs> mentioned that with Maps, Maps has a feature where if you see an error, you can report the error. And when it gets fixed, you get notified and it says, hey, thank you for reporting that, you know, that this road is not where it used to be or that there's a new road here. We have now fixed it. Um, what I hear a lot from my friends who are third party developers is the sense that radar is nearly a black hole, that you file your report, it goes in there and an awful lot of bugs that even even ones that are submitted with uh examples like here run this example code and it will prove that this is a bug in this ver new version of the os and then you just never they just never hear anything about it yeah like how how can radar get more like apple maps where it <laughs> it gives <laughs> i i'm serious i think that developers really and and i feel like it's a it's a it's a What's the, I don't know what the opposite of a virtuous circle, an invirtuous circle, where developers, if they feel like it's a black hole, they report fewer bugs because they feel like they're wasting their time. And developers not reporting bugs is, I'm sure, not what you want. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, we're, I mean, quite honestly, we're not where we want to be with, with radar as an externally facing tool. I mean, it's the lifeblood of the organization in terms of how we, we manage our bugs and manage our releases and, uh, I file tons of them and, and so does everyone who works, uh, works here in software. Um, but our external interface is not great. And a big part of that is, uh, something we struggle with is how we sort out communicating about the issues that we fix because, um, you may report an issue. We may dupe it to a bug that we're working on fixing. We may fix that bug. Maybe we fix it in iOS 10. Maybe we fix it in something that's probably going to go in iOS 9.3, you want to know that we've fixed it. We don't necessarily right now have a great way to decide when we want to communicate to you that there's a release that it's getting fixed in, that we're promising that that the fix is going to happen. And so we fundamentally have communication feedback problems that we need to sort out. I can tell you that the reports do get read, that they do influence what we do, um, but our back channel communication is um, needs, needs some work um, because we uh, – uh, we, we are reading them. We just don't tell you what's happening with them. And I understand absolutely the frustration of a lot of, a lot of developers who file those bugs. 
do you agree that that sort of improving that as as a is sort of a, a point where the trickle down from that, where if you guys could improve the back channel communication from radar, it would influence the sort of lots of little bugs getting fixed uh, that people are complaining about and address. It's it's like a centralized place to address the widespread entire user base wide program uh, problem of hey, this little thing is going wrong and I don't understand why. Uh, I, I think I think it helps. I think we we have other ways also that we're getting a lot of great feedback. We did our our first, as you know, um, public beta for iOS and a year ago, the public beta for OS ten, and actually in that way brought you know over a million people in into the program. Uh, and we did include uh, in those a feedback assistant tool, which was meant as a as a uh, you know kind of radar like feedback tool, but one that we could you know the average person could use, whether on iOS and OS ten, and uh, it automatically not only does it give us what the user types, but it automatically gives us a lot of additional. Um, diagnostics, they they get prompted and says, oh, is it okay if we send this, this, and this back? And gives us some really great actionable information uh, about the issues they uncover. And so that's that's another great channel to find out about the issues people are are running into. Uh, and it's made a huge difference on um, the, the quality of our software. I mean, we just one metric and it's not there 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 are lots of different ways in which uh, lots of different kinds of feedback we get but something that's very measurable are things like crash rate and i can tell you in the past you'd see this this seesaw pattern where a .o release would come out and that would have a you know certain high crash rate and then we'd issue our software updates and that rate would go down after doing the public beta here for iOS um our release uh, our .o our 9.0 was better than any previous release of iOS 8, that the numbers that, and, and those are the kind of systematic steps where you can get feedback from our, from our users, both automatic and, and the kind of things where they write up an issue and it helps us improve the product. So you're going to see more and more of that from us. And, uh, we think it continues to pay off. So you're uh, just to reiterate that, I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. You're saying that when 9.0 came out, the release version, that the crash rate for apps was actually lower than the version of iOS 8, whatever the you know stable version of iOS 8 was that people were upgrading from. That's right, of, of our apps. Uh, right. Third, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, third, third-party apps uh, are a, I don't actually have the number <laughs> on that, but they're, they're, uh, that's always a, a challenge. I mean, one, th one thing, honestly, that can happen to us on, on quality uh, is sometimes also a third-party will happen to ship an app about the same time we ship an OS update, and un independent of that, that app starts crashing, and that affects user... So you got to cut. It's, it's always a challenge to cut through the noise, um, but we have pretty good analytics, and uh, our numbers are um, you know, showing we're on the right track there. Well, it's, it's about the time to wrap this up. I wanted to know, though, because you guys were nice enough to come on, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you wished I had? Is there something that you guys were wanted to talk about that I, that we haven't discussed? Well, since this is an audio podcast and not a video one, um, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed that you can't see the purple shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> he did really rise to the occasion. I don't know if Eddie <laughs> thought he was going to be on camera here, but he's in full stage wear. It's, you it's, know, I... <laughs> I thought about that just before we got on the air. I, I I linked to a story the New York Times had about this amazing science that that uh, astronomers have done, where they've they've measured as audio this gravitational wave that proves this thing Einstein predicted a hundred years ago that if two black holes collided, you'd be able to <laughs> produce this gravity wave that you could hear. And I thought, wouldn't that be great if we had a microphone that could produce this a sound <laughs> of Eddie's shirt? Eddie's, of Eddie's shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, we all of a sudden we just a, didn't a synesthetic experience. Yeah, and it's yeah, all the senses come alive when we see Eddie's shirt. We just didn't have enough time to set up the technology. <laughs> Maybe next time. This was great. I, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I love it, John. I got one question for you though. Since, okay. since we started with sports and it's almost baseball season, give me your World Series prediction. Oh. I uh, I hate to say it, but I I think the Cubs <laughs> because it doesn't seem like a good bet, but boy, the Cubs look good in the National League. And in the American League, boy, I don't I, I'll just go out on a limb and say the New York Yankees. Oh. <laughs> that was for Phil. <laughs> so that's that's great. You got to remember, though, it is an even year. And in even years, the San Francisco Giants always win. <laughs> that's the weirdest little, like, inexplicable. Like, they've, and they've kept a core together. I don't understand that at all. I don't know if they just party way too hard after they win a World <laughs> Series and it tanks the whole next season or, or what. But. That is the weirdest little mini dynasty streak I've ever seen. It is. Cr- so I, I don't know. I don't know that I'd want to bet against the Giants next year. All right. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you both. Eddie Q, Craig Federighi. I really uh, greatly appreciate the time. Thanks, John. <laughs>